All right. Um, hey, we're going to continue this series right now, Move the Mountain, in just a minute. Uh, but uh, today is historically recognized as uh, the Palm Sunday, where we're going to recognize the triumphal entry of Jesus and get to that in just a moment. But I want to quick give a, uh, a shout out because last week we, uh, we handed out those little cards, these, uh, these square cards at the door, um, and everybody, I think, got one. And what we did, remember, is said, hey, on the back is our times. This card is not for you. You're here. You know when we worship, right? You made it. Congratulations. We said this card that was handed for you is for the one. Remember, we said the one person uh, who's in your life that needs to hear a resurrection story, the one person in your life uh, that God has put there in order for you to, to share your faith uh, with them. And so he said, pray over this, pray for an invitation uh, to, to ask them if they want to join you Easter Sunday for church, for worship, to celebrate what God is up to. And I got to be honest, like I'm, I'm prepping for this, right? Remember, I'm praying for an invitation for my one, like a good opportunity to hand it over and say, hey, you know, come to, come to church. It's going to be great. And I'm, I'm looking for this opportunity. And, and I decide, you know, I'm going to try to do this so as not to be a hypocrite, right? That's my primary motivation. Salvation is number two. No, I'm just kidding. And, um, and I'm like looking for an opportunity for this. And because I also know what happens around here in our kids' ministry, they do something similar, only instead of square cards, um, they, got, they painted rocks and we like stamped the bottom of it with like our church information. It said like, hide it in a park because that's a fun thing kids do now. And then uh, like look for them, scavenger hunt style, or just like hand it out. So I'm coming home from uh, from church last week, and I'm like trying to be a good dad and also not a hypocrite to them. And I'm getting myself ready. My kids are five and seven, and I'm like, all right, kids, you know, like this is the big deal. Like we want to invite people, like share this message of Jesus. You know, there's like one person in your life, and like, yeah, we know, Dad. We already, we already like delivered the rocks. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm, I'm like just pulling into the driveway, and they're like, um, yeah, we just went over there, rang the bell, dropped the rocks off, invited them to church. And I'm like, now I know what it means in Isaiah when a little child will lead them. <laughs> they're rocking this like faith sharing thing. So anyway, if you need a, a painted rock or a little card, like start uh, or continue praying over the one that God is in putting in your life to share this resurrection story with. Um, this morning, we continue this series, uh, Move the Mountain. And as we do, I want to acknowledge that that we're going we're gonna to get into and we're going to take a look at some of the more difficult conversations that we have ahead of us. Uh, maybe it's a confrontation uh, style. So something in us that's like, I don't want to have that. I don't want to enter into that. And we ask this question. Maybe it's with, with somebody here today or maybe at work or maybe some other relationship, maybe with God. And, and you're going like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know how to enter that conver uh, conversation. One of the big ones that I think is like, you know, people that you live with, maybe you're married to them, I don't know. Um, maybe they're just like living in your house and it's crowded all the time and you never know who exactly it is, but somebody is leaving out dishes all the time in the cereal bowls. And so you like go to work and you or go to school and you come back and there's like these, these little like half spoiled bowls of milk like hidden around the house. And they're in some funny places. Like you go into the bathroom and there's another one there and you're going like, what happens while I'm at work all day? And you kind of in the back of your head already know. And you're going, I need to talk to this person. But every time I do, it sort of spirals and deteriorates into the same conversation again and again and again. How do I even begin this? How do I enter into a conversation 
like that. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's you just having to call out somebody that you work with. You know, and you want him to know that the rest of the office views him in a certain way, in, in a kind of way that, that to be an underperformer would, would, be, would, would be an aspirational place to go. Right? The, the person in your, in your office or, or on your job site that has the reputation for being a black hole of productivity, where, where like assignments and tasks and projects go in, but like nothing comes out. And you're going like, I want to tell them, I want to, to help them, but I have an idea in my mind about how this thing is going to go. And you're asking yourself, how do I even enter into a conversation like that? Where do I even, where do I even begin? Maybe it's a, it's a financial thing, that conversation, confrontation that you're going to have to have. It doesn't even have to be your own finances. It could just, it could be somebody else's. It could be a friend's. You know, you want to sit the person down and you want to tell them that like, you know, hey, listen, I know that you haven't met your financial goals by now. And I, I don't know this for certain, but it could have something to do with the $500 blender you haven't opened yet. And I recognize it's a, it's a Vitamix Pro Series and it can, it can blend granite into a delicious smoothie. But like the reason why you can't afford anything even to put in it is because of how much it costs, right? Like, like you want to have these conversations. If it's your own financial situation, that somebody else is involved in, a partner is involved in, and you're opening it up, and you're like looking at, at the bank statement or the credit card statement, and, and it's like Amazon.com is one thing. Uh, Candy Crush and other in-app purchases is another pokerstars.net is just like on a whole nother level. And you know how the con conversation is going to go. And what you're wondering is how in the world do I even begin it? How do I enter into it? I think if we're honest, a lot of us have come here today and our relationships with God are a bit like that. Because we've asked for things from God. We've maybe even been so bold is to make demands on God. Except he hasn't shown up. And he hasn't done what we think that he said he was going to do. And as the clock keeps ticking and as more and more time goes by, the relationship with God grows even more distant. And there's something maybe in your heart, at least because you're here today, that, that's going like, I want to rediscover that. I, I want to re open that conversation with God. I want to hear from him in his word. I want to share my life with him in prayer. I want to do these things. I want to reignite a relationship with the living God. It's just, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know how to enter into a conversation like that. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to open our Bibles. We're going to take a look at a story that I think is going to help us with that. There's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. The words are also going to be on the screen uh, behind me. We're going to go to Luke chapter 19. Uh, and, and as we do so, and as you're flipping to it or like scrolling through Bible Gateway to get there, I want us to, I want us to recognize a couple of things. Uh, the first thing that I want us to recognize in this story is that tensions are extraordinarily high. This story is going to take place just outside Jerusalem and in Jerusalem. Uh, the tensions between God's people the Jewish people, the Israelites, and their Roman oppressors are going to be running so incredibly hot right now. It's, it, it, it's like 
just a ticking time bomb, just, just waiting for the right opportunity to go off. And we're going to see how a little bit of gasoline is thrown on that fire in the story this morning. Let's, uh, let's check it out. In verse 28 of Luke chapter 19, it starts off this way. It says, after, after Jesus had said this, remember he's coming from Jericho. We heard about that story last week. You can watch it online. He went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. A colt, by the way, is the way that the Bible describes a donkey, like a baby donkey, uh, throughout almost every time it's referenced. It could be a horse, but here in the Bible, it's always a donkey. Untie it, he says, and bring it here. So after the grand theft of the donkey, in verse 36, he brings it back. As he went along, as Jesus went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Isn't that interesting that they praise God for the miracles? They're not praising God for Jesus. They're praising God for what Jesus did. But I digress. Verse 36 is a quote from Isaiah. It says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest some of the Pharisees, the religious types, the officials in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus, I love this. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I, I want us to understand this passage so far. Um, this is a parade scene. I, I want us to, to see that as Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem, People are lining the streets. It says disciples, but really it's a crowd. It's anybody that is interested in the message of Jesus or more to the point, the miracles of Jesus, which is everybody. There's a big crowd and they're shouting praises at him. They're declaring a, him a king. They're waving palm branches. They're laying coats in the street so the donkey doesn't get his hooves dirty. I, I just want you to like picture the scene of Jesus coming into the city amidst a glorious uh, cheering and clapping and celebration. It's a parade. All right? But here's the thing. That wasn't the only parade that was happening that week. I said tensions were running high in the city of Jerusalem. I understated that significantly. Jerusalem was a city, it was about 50,000 people, which is a pretty good-sized city in the ancient world. It's not huge. It's not mega, but it's not tiny either. But during Passover, it was a religious festival where everybody was required by spiritual church law to go to Jerusalem and to make these sacrifices. And so what happened is that the city that was 50,000 people last week started swelling. 75, 100, 150, 200. Some people estimate 250,000 people. I mean, five times the size. It just packs out. And so there's just people everywhere. If you're, if you're in the army, if you're part of the Roman guard, and you thought you had 100 people to keep an eye on, now you've all of a sudden got 500 people to keep an eye on. And, and, get, and get this, don't forget what they've come to celebrate, right? Like, like they're living under oppression. They're living under the occupation of the Roman government. Well, on Passover, they're celebrating the time in their past when 
when the people cried out because they had these Egyptian overlords that were enslaving them, and, and God miraculously delivered them from the hand of their enemies. Okay, and now 250,000 people are in the city celebrating the time, the last time that God like saved and delivered the people. The tensions are running high. Rome knows. The government, they know the tensions are so hot right now that if something is going to happen, it's probably going to be here and it's probably going to be now. And, and so they decide it's going to be weeks, maybe months before reinforcements could come if there's some kind of rebellion that breaks out. So what we're going to do, what we're going to do is to demonstrate this show of force. All right, so this is the other parade that happens. The first one was for Jesus. We heard about that. The second one is now Pilate. He's the, the governor over the region. Now, this is kind of speculation, but how he got that way was probably, he was an equestrian, in the, a horse guy in the Roman, that's the official term, uh, in the Roman army. And he probably had some kind of military victory or demonstration of valor, like, like something. And, and the king or somebody recognized him by giving him this job of being the governor over this region. And, and the only really order is, like, keep the people in line. And right now it's challenging. So what he decides to do is to mount together this demonstration of force, right? He doesn't live in Jerusalem. We got a map with us. Jerusalem is, uh, is kind of in the middle here. It's the green dot. Uh, he doesn't live in Jerusalem. He lives in the orange dot, kind of in the upper left of the screen, west of the city. Uh, this is Caesarea. And it's a nice, he's living in a nice, cool villa, on the sea of the Mediterranean, right? And, and what he does is he gets his personal guard together, maybe 50, maybe 150 of his soldiers. And he's going to get these guys together. He's going to march into the city of Jerusalem, except for he's got two goals. Number one, he wants to make sure that as many people as possible see him in his entourage. And number two, that they remember what they saw. And so he doesn't march straight across through the desert into the city of Jerusalem. No, no, no. That doesn't accomplish number one and number two. He wants to take a longer way, a way that passes through bigger streets and more populated cities. So instead of going straight into Jerusalem, he goes down south along the coast of the Mediterranean, this more densely populated area, and calls everybody out of their homes to see this entourage marching through the city. And then he cuts across the desert and enters Jerusalem from the west. Now, as he comes into the city of Jerusalem, he, he makes sure to time everything just perfectly. He's got the, the beat of the drum going off. And it's not just the beat of the drum, but, but, but the soldiers who are decked out in swords and spears and shields and metal and leather gold armor shining across are timing everything and marching everything just in unison so that you can't hear the drums, you can only hear the clanging of the metal armor as the, and weapons as the people, as the soldiers are making their way through the city. And as they go through the city, drawing all this attention to themselves, the first thing that somebody would see as they looked over and saw this, this parade coming through Jerusalem from the west, the first thing that they would see is a pole that goes up with a banner high above it with a golden eagle emblem posted on it. And the reason for that was that was the, the symbol, the royal symbol of Rome. It was a not so subtle way of saying, we may be high up, we may be far off, but we are always watching. And as the processional goes through, after the eagle, they would see etchings and paintings 
of different kings and Caesars and military victories and defeats of their enemies, scenes that would remind everybody who saw this thing unfolding to be aware because one wrong move and you could be next. And at the end of the entourage, of course, was Pilate himself. As an equestrian, it was appropriate. He rode on the back of a majestic white stallion, a war horse, equally decked out. And they would march through the streets of Jerusalem so that everybody could see them, everybody could be afraid of them. And they would march right to the temple, the epicenter of it all, where a previous Herod had built uh, what's called Antonia's Fortress, which was an army barracks added onto the temple because if anything was going to happen, it was going to happen here and it was going to happen now. It was Pilate's not-so-subtle way of saying, at the end of the day, at the end of this festival, at the end of this week, I want everybody to be aware and to know who is in charge. That was one parade. Jesus comes in and it's almost the equal kind of parade, only opposite in just about every sort of way. Remember last week we said the healing of the blind man, Zacchaeus, it happened at the city of Jericho. It's small gray dot on the screen. I'm told you can't really see it from the first worship time. That's all right. It's there just to the east. Um, Jesus comes in from Jericho and he hangs out at the Mount of Olives, which I think is in blue just outside the city of Jerusalem, just to the east. And that's when they go and they, they steal this donkey, holy sanct, or sanctified theft, and, and they, they bring it back to Jesus. And Jesus then enters Jerusalem there from the east side. It's a city with some walls, and so there's only a handful of gates that he came in. So everybody was made sure to pay attention, and they saw him coming in. Now, as Jesus comes in, uh, people are waving palm branches. Remember, that's significant. 200 years previous, there was a rebellion that took place where they, they got the Romans and the Greeks to, to get out and they, they could be free. It didn't last long, but, but at least they were free just for a minute. And then the leader of that rebellion called the Maccabean Revolt, Simon Maccabee was the guy's name. When he came back into Jerusalem, he came back in riding on a donkey. Because remember, that's the prophecy from Zechariah that we just heard earlier, that this Messiah is going to come riding on a donkey, and Jesus knows that, and so he plans that accordingly. And, and when Simon Maccabee came in, the, the tradition was waving palm branches, and so that's why the people decide to get out there and to grab some palm branches and to start waving those because they're saying, no, no, he's the guy, he's the Messiah, he's going to save us all. And they had, and they had no idea. Jesus comes into town, riding ridiculously on the back of a baby donkey, and they're like waving this sort of stuff. And, and people are, are using that quote from Zechariah about, about this king that's coming to town. And the Pharisees, the religious types, are getting nervous about this because they're, because they're going, no, 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 we have a king already. If that king hears you calling this guy king, there's going to be trouble. Like every, tensions are running a little high right now. Maybe just calm down a little bit. Keep your voices down. And then Jesus gives that awesome line. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And it's a, it's a weird thing to say. 
it, and we just kind of gloss over that now because it's church, and it's like, well, yeah, sure. I mean, this sounds like, that sounds pretty good. We'll put it in a song and sing it every once in a while. But what Jesus was talking about, the reference that Jesus was making in that moment, he was referencing this common first century belief that when the Messiah came, he would come into Jerusalem. And then when he came into Jerusalem, the dead would rise and escort him into the holy city. And he's saying this, and the scene is the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem. It, it, it wasn't just a place where olive trees grew. It was also a place to bury their dead. The really, really good Jews that lived really, really good and notable lives, they'd want to get buried there because it was just outside the city. And when the Messiah did come, they would be the first to rise and would be able to, to go with the Messiah into the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is coming in on the back of a donkey, this prophecy, and the Pharisees are saying, no, no, you guys, you have to keep down. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I tell you the truth. Because I'm the Messiah, if they keep quiet, the headstones, the gravestones, the dead in God are going to rise and escort me into the holy city of Jerusalem. And in that, in that prophecy from Zechariah, by the way, remember we heard at the beginning of this series that sometimes the most important part of a prophecy is not what was said, but is the line that comes immediately after what was said. And so in this case, we have the, the first couple lines, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. The next line that's left unsaid is the Messiah saying, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, that's Israel. And you can just imagine how this would land to the Roman overlords. I'll take away the chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. And I just, you know, I can't help but look at these two parades happening in the same week. And I can't help but just notice how opposite they really are. One of them is a show of force coming from Pilate in the West. The other one is a demonstration of sacrifice and of humility, but, but also equally claiming a rightful throne, a kingdom that will never end. I just can't help but like look at these two parades, one from the west and one from the east, and try to imagine myself there in that city if I had the opportunity to attend both of them. And I think what I would be struck with is that there's two ways to come into a city. I think that what I would have been struck with is that there's two ways to enter a conversation. I am struck with today that there are two ways to be a boss, a supervisor, that there's two ways to be on staff, to be an employee, to work for somebody else. I guess like looking at these two, there's, there's two ways to be a husband or to be a wife. There's two ways to parent kids, maybe even especially grown kids, I don't know. 
there's, there's two ways. One of them is a show of force, intimidation and fear. And the other one is marked by humility, by grace, by mercy, by sacrifice. And I guess I need to ask the question this morning, like which way are you going to choose? Maybe before your answer, keep in mind that, that the God of our faith the God that we've come to celebrate here this morning, our God chose humility. Our God chose grace. Our God chose forgiveness. Our God chose the way of mercy every single time. Which way are you going to choose? Now something unusual happens by the end of the story. Because on the one hand, it sort of like forces our decision. Coming up this week, entering those conversations, maybe even reigniting a conversation with God that has been lost a long time ago. And, and, and we're told here now, which way are you going to choose? How are you going to enter that thing? How are you going to begin that thing? The way of Pilate or the way of Jesus? But the story's not done yet. Because we haven't gotten to the part that nobody really wants to read we want to end it at that place of the triumphal entry. We want to end it on a high note. But it continues in verse 41. The very next verse is that as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And you might be thinking, why in the world would Dirk read that line too? Why in the world could we not just end this time together by celebrating the way of Jesus? Because we all know kind of where that one goes and we all know we should probably fall in line on that one. Why this? Why the, the part about the grief? Why the part about the sorrow? Why the part about the mistakes? And listen, listen, this is so important. Jesus knew the way of Pilate, he knew his own way. And he knew that the people then were going to choose the way of Pilate at every opportunity. And I don't, I don't get it either. But what Jesus does in these last few lines is he makes a prediction. In the Bible terms, we call that a prophecy. And what Jesus does in these last lines, he says, they're going to come for you. Your enemies will come for you. Hey, and they're going to build this, this wall around the city, an embankment, he says, and, and hem you in on every side. And not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And 37 years after Jesus made that prophecy, there was another revolt. 
There was another time when God's people picked up swords and picked up shields and picked up spears and they threw the Romans out of Jerusalem. What they hoped for was the last time, but it was never the last time and the Romans came back. They took the way of Pilate, but, but then a bigger Pilate from Rome came by with a bigger horse and bigger swords and a bigger army and they came up to that capital city of Jerusalem and they didn't charge in. They did something so much worse. They, they built a wall, an embankment you could call it, around the city of Jerusalem that was taller than the walls of Jerusalem so that whenever you, wherever you were in the city, you could look over and you could see our walls, but then just beyond that, you could see their walls hemming us in. And you could look over and you could see the soldiers and the walls making sure that nothing comes in no one goes out and for years they waited and they systematically through starvation through disease weakened the city and then 37 years after jesus said these words in the year 70 a.d they went in and everybody was so weak they couldn't even fight and the marching orders that came from Rome after reading about the rebellions after rebellions after rebellions in this unruly city was when you go in. I want the future historians to question whether there was ever even a city here in the first place. And everything was destroyed. the sorrow and the despair that came from that moment, I cannot even imagine. Jesus comes over to the city and he looks over it and he weeps because he sees a people that will reject him. He sees a crowd that will turn on him. He sees a people that will choose the way of Pilate over the way of Jesus every single time. In fact, I think he sees more than that. I think that what makes him sorrow and what makes him despair at that moment isn't just that the people then are going to choose the way of Pilate, the way of fear, the way of intimidation every single time. I think Jesus looks over that city and he sees every follower and potential follower of him through the end of time knowing these options, knowing the different ways that their lives could take them. And he sees every decision within those lives. And he sees that you and I, friends, that we're the ones that choose the way of Pilate. We're the ones that choose the way of force. We're the ones that choose our way over his way every single time. And he grieves it. And then five days later, he died for us anyway. And three days later, he was resurrected from the dead. And he turned that sorrow over our shame, over our guilt, over our sin, dancing for 
for all eternity. Let's pray to that God together. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you're the one that turns our sorrow into joy. And God, to do that, there may be a death of something. God, there's something that we need to die to today. There's a, there's a way of pilot in our lives that we need to die to. There's our way, Lord, that we're trying so desperately to keep it all together. And Jesus, you're standing before, parading before us now and saying, there's a better way. There's a more hopeful way. There's a more peaceful way. There's a way of grace. There's a way of mercy. There's a way of forgiveness. There's a way of humility, God. And you chose the way of humility for us. God, we ask for you to take our points of grief and shame and guilt and turn them into something better. And so that, Lord, your victory once and for all is complete. And God, will all of us together gather before your throne in heaven and we'll celebrate the God who raises the dead, the God who causes headstones, gravestones to cry out, blessed be your name, O King of Israel, O King of each and every one of us today, blessed be your name, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.